Welcome to the Teacher Nerds Podcast. Joe and Ron are self-proclaimed teacher nerds geeking out on all things education. They are looking to move educational practices out of the 1900s factory worker model to a student-driven classroom full of empathetic, creative, and collaborative students willing to take risks. Join them as they chat with educators from around the world, discussing educational tools, techniques, ideas, policies, and much more. Thank you for listening and becoming one of the Teacher Nerds. And now a word from a sponsor. Welcome to this episode of the Teacher Nerds Podcast. This is the re-release of episode 25, when Joe and Ron got to sit down and chat with Ira Sokol. Ira is a former Chief Technology and Innovation Officer for a Virginia school district. In 2017, he was recognized by the Center for Digital Education with their annual award to the nation's top 30 technologists, transformers, and trailblazers. During doctoral studies at Michigan State, he became a leading expert in the use of accessibility technology and UDL, Universal Design for Learning, where he also developed tool belt theory, an equity lens for all learners. He is the author of numerous articles in national education and school architecture journals. Ira is the author of The Drool Room, a unique novel that forces you to look through his eyes as a dyslexic student growing up in the earliest days of special education. Recently, he co-authored Timeless Learning with Pam Moran and Chad Ratliff. We hope you enjoy this episode. Four, have you heard about the nerds? What's the word? Teacher nerds. You can tweet them out on Twitter. You can find them on the gram. After listening to their podcast, you'd be sitting there like, bam! Trying to take the teaching from one level to the next. Reaching up to Canada and down to Mexico. Gotta go. Teaching nerds. Start the show. All right. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Teacher Nerds Podcast. I'm Ron Nober. I'm Joe DiPaolo. I'm a technology teacher, third grade to eighth grade. And I'm in a third grade classroom. And we are thrilled to death today to uh, have Ira Sokol uh, join us as a guest on the podcast. Ira, welcome. Well, thank you for having me. Um, really looking forward to the conversation here today. And yeah. I appreciate what you guys do to spread spread the word. Yeah, uh, that's it, Robert. Right. That's what we're trying to do. Get yep. the word out. Yep. Get more people on board. All right. So uh, we just, you know, I think Joe and I in reading Timeless Learning, one of the things that stuck out to us, uh, for me especially, was, you know, on page 134, you have a a quote in there that talks about reading print is no longer an exclusive definition of literacy in a time when so many different technologies uh, for input exist. Um, and it's something I think more schools, more teachers need to be conscious of. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, reading some of your stuff, it really is, you know, something you're passionate about. Um, if you want to maybe talk about a little bit of your background of why it's a passion for you. Well, you know, this is uh, what really brought me into education and convinced me that uh, I, I had something important to, to bring. I, I was not a good student um, ever in school, and that includes grad school. I mean, any person who's <laughs> ever been a teacher or professor of mine could, could back me up on that. Uh, it, it's, 
reading and writing have never been easy for me. That is the specific skill sets of using your hands to do things um, or your scanning alphabetical uh, letter forms. But what has driven me is a real love of stories, both hearing stories and telling stories that's driven me through my life. Um, and I've learned for, for a very long time how to move around um, the limitations, even when the technology was a long way from what's available now. So I can go back to the 1980s and describe riding the subway to the New York City Police Academy while listening to law books on a Walkman. Um, <laughs> I, I wouldn't recommend this to anyone, but, um, but I did that. Uh, you know, and I can go back to books being on, you know, vinyl. Oh, wow. wow. Okay. Oh, wow. <laughs> very, very long time ago. And uh, but to me, I always wanted what was in the books and I wanted to tell stories. And so I worked around it. What I always found in education, though, was this bizarre focus that it was more important um, for you to master a traditional skill than it was for you um, to use that skill for an actual purpose. So the only reason anybody reads is because they want what's in the book. Right, right. Or want what's in the newspaper. Or so they, the only reason people write is because they have a story they want to tell that people can uh, reach asynchronously. Well, what we're doing right now is that we're creating something that people can reach whenever they want to. Right. Um, and we, humans have gone through lots and lots of different ways of doing this, starting with cave paintings. Yep, you know, the sure. first time somebody moved from telling the story around the fire to painting it on a cave wall, um, they moved away from, you know, the direct communication to something that others would see and would have to interpret. So what I saw is the traditional forms of education is really working against a very large percentage of kids. And going back into the last century, I began working with new forms of text-to-speech and speech-to-text um, with students at every age, from like second grade up through, you know, university. And finding ways to get people around these limitations. And of course, at the same time, then trying to convince educators that these alternative methods were legitimate. I don't right. know why that's such a fight, but well, I, I think it one has of, been one of the things I like in your and you know what I have always said to people is I've read James Joyce's Ulysses six times, but I have never touched a paper copy of it. Um, and but I can still go into bars in Dublin and argue the book with anyone there. <laughs> so I think I've read it. And um, well, you talk you about know, I, getting information easily for you. Right. And, and some right. kids are going to be able to pick up text and decipher those symbols. But not everyone is going to be able to do that. So I thought that was that was a key point. And, and it's it, it makes me wonder why doesn't everyone jump on board with this? So, like, you know, it's, it's not saying let's do away with reading altogether, but let's, let's, let's find other avenues. So if kids can't read 
and get that information quickly or can't write and disseminate or to get information out quickly, um, then then there's other means there's for other them avenues, to yeah. tell their story and get that information in. And, and, and I know, you know, we talked before where you're saying you're trying to get out there in other districts. Like, have you have you ever tried to, to talk to the legislators or like the people in in the in power in education to, to really start from the top and work your way down? Well, I have done um, a significant amount and probably not directly with legislatures, but through state departments of education and okay. going back to when I was um, in grad school at Michigan State, I had worked with a team from Scotland um, who had developed a thing called Access Apps, which was a flash drive that would turn any Windows computer into something that was 98% accessible. Wow. Hmm. Um, that is, it had, um, it had text-to-speech, speech-to-text, all sorts of different calculators, all kinds of different software on it to help students do anything and you could put it on a two gig flash drive um and that was your only cost because these were all open source i then with a a grant that actually came from the u.s department of education adapted this for the united states uh getting rid of the scottish accents and things like that um and we actually had the money to produce these just you know, to mass copy them and send them out to any school district in the state of Michigan. And I went around the state working with teachers everywhere on this. And it it, it did a couple of things. First, it provided kids with that kind of direct access. But secondly, it started to prove to people that these limitations were uh, blocking them from seeing what kids were capable of. That exactly. true potential, yep. yep. Yeah, and um, we've talked to state uh, superintendents, Pam Moran and I, um, a number of times in the last year and a half, um, trying to, you know, spread this word in a way that can filter down. Because one of the things I realized is it didn't matter what I thought the best way to read was because I have my personal preferences. And even if we go all the way back to the 1990s, I have things that I liked better than other things. When I tried to work with students with that, I realized that they didn't have the same preferences at all. Um, They would choose other things. Just like when people say they have developed the dyslexia font, it's ridiculous because everything everyone is sort of individual on that so what i started working on back then was you know what we refer to as tool belt theory which is that you have to get kids into a situation where they know how to choose and adapt and set up the technologies that will work best for them and then they have to learn how to learn the next ones that come along because anything we teach now will be worthless three years from now. Right, 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 right. So it's almost like you don't necessarily give them a strategy, you give them tools so they can figure things out on their own and then when they need to do something, they're able to to do it on their own without being shown, you right. know, really you have to do it this way. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think and, I... Go ahead, Dyer. Go ahead. 
Uh, I was going to say, I, I think I first came across this. I, I teach uh, technology, and we were doing an engineering class. And, you know, at the end, I asked kids to do a reflection. And I decided, you know what? I want to give them the option of doing Flipgrid as the reflection. And there was a student that we had who was not a great writer, wasn't a great reader. When I saw his Flipgrid reflection on video and him talking about the project, I was blown away by the amount of detail and information that this student put across that I was like, holy smokes, he really understands it in an unbelievable amount of detail that I never would have gotten from him had I asked him to write it down. And, and so many kids are silenced in right. traditionally classrooms with traditional tools because maybe they can't speak well, maybe they can't write well. I always uh, talk about how much I hate uh, uh, icebreaker activities because very often it'll involve writing something down and showing it to people. Well, if I write something down and show it to people, their first impression of me will be that I write like a five-year-old. Right, right. Um, and, or worse. And, <laughs> you know, that's not the disclosure I want to make. It's, it's kind of like forcing a kid with a bad stutter to get up and speak in front of class. Right. It, it, it is a problematic thing. And so what I always worked on, whether where I first started doing this at Grand Valley State University in Michigan or right through Albemarle County was making sure people had choices. Yep. So that in Albemarle County, we chose as our one-to-one -one device Windows laptops because they allowed the most choices uh, uh, for things to happen there. You could use all sorts of different browsers. You could use all sorts of different speech to text or text to speech systems and we would load all those different things on every computer so it wasn't a question of you needed a um you did a diagnosis in order to use this you could just choose to use it well right. that, that's what ron and i have been saying um with you know we do some videos and youtube youtube's great because you have an option where you could put closed captioning on and if you want to be able right. to read what they're saying, you know, and, and why do you have to have an IEP for that? If, if, you know, if that's what you want to do, if that's how you're going right. to get the information easier, yep. then you, you know, the, the reins are off. If, if we have it in the classroom, you don't need an IEP, an IEP to use it. Right. Um, text to speech, um, especially I'm dealing with eight, eight, eight year olds in third grade. So when we're, you know, typing something up on the Chromebook with after, you know, something we just worked with, our, our topic is slavery and social studies. So when I'm asking them to, to put something out and they're typing it, they're not going to be able to type it as quick as maybe someone in eighth grade. Right. But that doesn't mean, you know, they're not able to get 10 facts down um, in, in the amount of time that we have to complete the assignment. So, you know, if I'm not giving everyone text to speech, they're not going to be able to tell me everything they've learned because they're not efficient typers yet. So what am I grading? Am I grading their typing or am I grading what they've learned in the social studies content? Um, well, and, and if you think about that, I mean, uh, speech to text software was not invented for people with disabilities. It was invented for doctors and lawyers who'd been dictating for most of the 20th century right. to dictaphones and things like that. Mm. Um, you know, Rod Serling famously wrote all his, you know, 
teleplays and and screenplays by dictating them. He wow. never wrote or typed anything. What you don't want is the mechanics of writing, whether it's typing. And if I'm on a regular keyboard, I'm a one finger yep, uh, me too. person. <laughs> yep. And have, have always been that. You don't want those mechanics to slow down the person's thinking process and communication yep. process, because then you are indeed, as you just said, you're measuring something that has nothing to do with what you want to measure. Right. Um, and early, and this is probably 1997, I worked with a third grader who had um, a genetic issue where he could not move his fingers independently. Okay. They all did something or none of them did something. <laughs> so he couldn't hold a pen, couldn't hold a pencil, and he sure couldn't type. Um, so I met him and I hooked him up with, uh, back then we used IBM's via voice a lot, you know, as, as, a speech to text tool. And he sat there, the t his teacher said, and he just dictated stuff for a week. Wow. <laughs> he just had all this stuff stored in his brain wow. that he had never been able to get out before. And, you know, that's where you, you know, create the amazing opportunities. Now, not everybody becomes, I had one young man who could neither read anything nor write his name, but after using, you know, the technologies, ended up getting a PhD in history at Notre Dame. Jeez. Um, but not everybody is like that. I used um, a very sophisticated program called WYN, W-Y-N-N, which was a, a, a text-to-speech system that could read diagrams perfectly. Oh, wow. wow. And we use that in all sorts of CTE situations because where the diagrams were essential, you know, someone learning welding, someone yeah. learning right, plumbing. Right. Um, so it, it doesn't all have to end up with this huge uh, academic measurement success. You know, my goal is that people be okay that right. they live their lives right and and yeah. do what they they want to do you, you know have the right. ability at least to do what they want to do whether you like you said it's plumbing welding getting a phd in history whatever it is right. that you can do it and you can function well we've had we've had kids in class that would normally have been written off as they'll never get it to now we give them opportunities to show what they got and the kids are superstars who would normally be written off as right. oh you know what there's nothing you can do for him. He just doesn't get it. Right. And he, and what he doesn't get is the way teachers are putting it out, you know, but you well, get. Yeah. And that stretches to everything. So if you take the traditional classroom chair, I'll guarantee you half the kids are going to be totally uncomfortable and you're going to generate significant <laughs> problems in a bunch of them, um, which is why we moved to saying, you know, every space had to have at least three kinds of seating and three kinds of desks. Wow, and then we got to the place where we said every child should be able to walk into any learning space and decide where, how, or if to sit. Yep, right. Because that has nothing to do. Your ability to sit in a chair has nothing to do with the learning objectives of school. Well, and that's that's the thing I think about, you know, us as an adult, if I'm sitting in a PD day for, you know, two hours, 
I'm getting antsy. You, you know, like those, those chairs, those benches, whatever we're sitting on, are uncomfortable. And no one has them at home around their kitchen table. Right, no exactly. one's got them in their <laughs> living room. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Joe, It's a, my, the first thing I said to teachers at, in Albemarle County when I first started working with Pam was I, I looked was we were sitting in a, a high school classroom and I said, "Does anybody here have furniture like this at home?" <laughs> um, so was that where I heard that joke? Was that that's your, probably was that at, your at joke rewire? <laughs> <laughs> what Pam then did was she started holding principal meetings in high school classrooms. Oh, that's awesome! Say <laughs> so, you try it, right? <laughs> well, and that's one thing I I remember from. You know, my, my grad school was, you know, one of the, the professors saying, you know, if you need to go to the bathroom and you're an, an adult here, you get up and go to the bathroom. Why are we making kids wait till this period and you, you, you get a bathroom break here? And he said, how well can you focus on what I'm doing if your thought is, geez, I got to go to the bathroom. Geez, I got to go to the bathroom. You know, like it's it's teaching them the skill of is this a good time to take a break to go to the bathroom or should you wait a few minutes you know until directions are done or something like that that's a life skill if you're uncomfortable the only thing you're paying attention to is your discomfort exactly that's true of everybody yep and so we we create these preposterous situations where you know we want to control everything about a kid's life and i i say one of the things you know we um, never had rules about having food or drink around computers because if kids look at the teacher, there's food and drink around. <laughs> right, <them. exactly. laughs> yep. They know that's nonsense. And in fact, the only liquid damage I ever saw to any of the 20,000 <laughs> computers we had in Almar County was was Pam Moran when somehow she lost control of a bottle of water and it poured completely into the keyboard of her MacBook. Um, it just, you know, kids are careful of things that matter to them, that right. are important to them. They, if we just treat them as we would like to be treated, yeah, uh, things, things will go easily. And, and to go back to the thing about reading and stuff, we um, sort of switch some of the teachers who've been most resistant to the idea that kids will listen to books instead of reading them are the same teachers who are very fond of assigning kids to read Shakespeare. Well, Shakespeare was never intended to be read. <laughs> oh, you're intended to, to, you know? to see Shakespeare performed, right? I mean, that's... right. You're, you're not supposed to read Shakespeare. He would have been shocked right <laughs> to think that people were actually reading this stuff because it it's not what's going on the other thing is that that brings all sorts of cultural allows all sorts of cultural differences in the classroom most of the world societies use community reading strategies where people will gather around and read things together and, right. You know, and and bring in news. You think about in China, the newspapers that are posted to walls, and, right? Um, things like this. But we insist on individual stuff. Um, you know, I'm a huge fan of Irish fiction. But Irish fiction is never really intended to be read. It's to be heard. Right. It's an oral tradition, right? Like that's. It's a, yep. Yeah. And so, 
you open up all sorts of things and eliminate all sorts of points of conflict when you just relax those expectations. Right. Well, we this was our Read Across America week. I don't know if everyone around the yeah, U.S. celebrates, is, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. So, mm-hmm. so we've had readers come in, parents, and just read to the kids. And it's, and it's great because they all sit around and, and you never have to say, hey, pay attention. Hey, stop playing around. Because you know what? Yep. They just want to sit there and enjoy the story and not have to be like, all right, I'm listening. So there might be a, ca- there might be a question right. about <laughs> this character. You know, um, you know and because as an adult, I've never had to <laughs> read a book and then go answer questions on it. Right. Because that's not, you know, you, you talk about that, like, you know, they don't read just for the sake of reading. You know, it's, I got to read now and do a STEM or I got to read and answer questions or now I have to read and, and think about, you know, what was, what's the summary of this section and what details. I mean, there's so much work that we throw right into reading from, from kindergarten and at the last textbook, no, at the last, yeah, textbook, it was, they had Katie Martin right. um, as, as the speaker and, and she threw up this graphic um, and I think you talk about it in your one article too, is that these kids come in in kindergarten dying to go to school. They can't wait to start. Right. And by third grade, that excitement level drops significantly. Right, it nose dives, yeah. Up to like third grade. And then at, by eighth grade in high school, it's just, it's totally plummeted. It's, it's, it's crazy how we turn kids off to all these things. And, you know, even if you're deeply into literature, you have to understand that the kind of questions usually asked in school because they make easy uh, test questions really devalue what like fiction can be. Um, there's a great, uh, I guess, forward to um, a book, I think called The Prague uh, Cemetery and by Umberto Eco. and. It's a forward to the English language editions because he has to say to people in the UK and the United States, um, do not confuse the plot with what this book is about. (laughs) (laughs) You know, (laughs) superficially, the plot is what moves the action forward, but it isn't necessarily what the book is about. And the, the example I always give to people is The English Patient which is one of the most wonderful novels I've ever read. But if you watch the movie, the movie strips it down to the plot. Okay. Okay. Which is emotional, but pretty uninteresting as, as sort of a love story. When you read the book, what it's about is being a colonial person. Okay. Being powerless within your society. Oh, and, um, but that, you know, you don't write a book about that. That becomes a textbook. You right. write a story that illuminates that. And right. so we move kids away from the common ways of of perceiving what a story is telling you. And, and I mean, I love writing fiction and I love great fiction writing. And I'm sure that fiction can tell truer stories a lot than nonfiction can Mm. because it can bring you into the emotions of the place. But we have to let kids experience that um, both ways, both as readers and writers. And if we're constantly trying to figure out what we can do to catch the kids who haven't read the book. Right. We're losing the whole point. Right, right. right. And that's, I, I always, 
you know, when I get, I'll give an assignment, just, you know, give me a reflection of what we do, what we did in this project. And, you know, the first thing I usually get is three hands going up. How many sentences do you want? I said, I don't care how many sentences, get your point across. I said, some of the best sentences in a story can be a one word, you know, like that, that grab your attention and pull you into the story. And it's one word with an exclamation point. You know, I said, I, I don't I don't want you to just write for the number of sentences and the number of right. paragraphs. I want you to write to get your point across to me and tell me what you know or you know again do it in video if you if you choose to do it that way. One of my favorite chapters is in the book uh, Something Wicked This Way Comes Ray Bradbury and the cha- entire chapter is one sentence that says nothing much else happened the rest of the night. <laughs> <laughs> done Um, that's my kind of chapter (laughs) you know i i tell my um when i was teaching in michigan state i tell my students they'd ask how long something had to be and i'd say you know if you can get it to me in under 100 words you're way ahead right make it 50 you're even further ahead yeah (laughs) right because you're teaching that that you're talking about now you know how to be concise get to the point point. you know what i mean and that's why a lot of times if i'm asking students to do a video i do limit it to like your video i want it to be you know 30 seconds or 60 seconds or 90 seconds because i want you to learn how to drill down and get to the point of what you're trying to get across um you know if you ask kids that you you point out that the ads they see online or on television are usually 30 seconds right right yep and they sure managed to get their point across. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Nike knows how to get their point across right. if they if they want to, and probably even quicker than that because right. on Some YouTube, it, yeah. yeah, you can you can right. you skip can have that in, ad in five seconds. Right. So seconds. they really got to yeah. get their their yeah. point in there. Yeah, that's a that's really good. I never even thought of that. Right. But yeah, I mean, they do that in five seconds, and they they want to get your attention in that first five because you might skip the ad. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if you've ever. Uh, gone or listened to anything from the national storytellers convention in tennessee have you and one of my favorites has got to be donald davis um Mm, yes you know and yeah yeah and if you read his work it's one thing but if you hear donald davis tell the story it's just completely different and you are enthralled and hanging on every word because well that's an art form right it's right it's an art form telling your story yeah and it's again, it's a verbal tradition. That's that's what he he did and does. Um, well, and and there's um, I, I really think we fail to connect kids with this range of media. You know, um, we've at least gotten lots of school librarians to adopt um, graphic novels, but. Right. You know, I always ask things like, so what would your canon be of American film? Okay or British film or French film. You know, what films do you think you'd most want kids to know? What music would you most want them to know? We, we talk about, we strip literature down to one meaning, that right. it has to be a written oh, thing. Right. Instead of, you know, people sang long before they wrote. <laughs> right, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah um, absolutely. It's it's important, I think, to talk about how the range of how humans express themselves, because that gives you your choice. There's a great thing out of New Zealand called Dance Your PhD, which is people who've converted their dissertations into ballet. 
Wow. Um, in, in science and all sorts of things, you know, they do this. Um, when you think of the realm of human storytelling that we'd like our kids to be good with, you can't just spend 13 years concentrating on printed books. Right. Um, and, you know, going the other way, I always talk about the fact, we, we used to refer in Alma County to, not to keyboarding, but the text entry. Because in the world we're in, even right now, we type on big keyboards and on-screen keyboards. We, we need to use our voice to even control our cars. Right, right. Or the uh, house, yeah. right, your house at home. Yeah, or your house, right. right. Um, and it was interesting when we started using speech to text heavily, when we had that on our computers, a group of seventh graders at one of our middle schools and as a, you know, rural southern middle school. So this is not, um, you know, Bostonian English, right? <laughs> people are sounding like, but what they said was that using that changed the way they spoke. Um, made them much more accurate because okay. when you're dictating, you need to nail the ending of words. Yep. Right. To right. Get them right. And, you know, because nobody sets up their their voice control in cars for rural southern U.S. voices. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, so you do have to learn all these different ways to process stuff. You know, I also. I think I just said uh, Pam and I were in Illinois two weeks ago and you know I, I pointed out to people that you know alphabetical text is really good but not when you're driving a car <laughs> um, you know th there's all sorts of reasons to have multiple to get good at multiple ways of consuming and producing right right and uh, it's yeah it's a life skill and it's going mm -hmm. to be it's it's now with how quickly technology changes those modalities of communicate are going to be changing again who knows you know it may be just thought process you right. know five ten years from now where it's not verbal it's not you know and you see it even with some of the the technologies for people with als it's you know reading your retina moving and yes. it, i mean there's all kinds of communication um and not being forced into one little box 15 years ago i was at um cal state northridge runs this giant conference on technology and persons with disabilities and um, i was testing out early eye gaze technology like that. And they decided that ADHD and eye gaze technology was a very bad combination. Um, <laughs> they say, you, have, you have to focus on right, this. Right. Oh, really, you know? <laughs> I'm like, um, but yes, all of these things, I mean, think of how that's opened the world to people. Right. You know, and it, it fights against the nature of you know, when I, I wrote a dissertation on the history of education in the United States and our K-12 system, one through 12 at the time, was really designed to fail 80% of children, to get, to get rid of 80% of kids by the time you got to ninth grade in high school. You know, to quote Woodrow Wilson, because we need a lot more 
coal miners than clerks. I was going to say, that's, uh, yeah. that's your labor force, right? That's what, right. what it was looking for. And so we're still, you know, and the whole idea of um, uh, grade level expectations was a filtering system, not a push system. It was designed so that most kids couldn't achieve it, which is why, as I always say, it's really funny. If two thirds of kids in the United States across the board read below their grade level, how is that grade level? Right. That, the grade uh, level yeah, is right. below. Yeah, <laughs> we invented this odd. Right construction right yeah and i mean what i, I guess kind of going forward like what I, I keep thinking about if you know companies like you know we've seen it you know if blockbuster didn't blockbuster didn't take on what netflix was doing right blockbuster failed kodak mm -hmm. didn't you know decided that the world wasn't going to be digital you know nobody wanted to look at their picture pictures digitally they wanted to ha hold them right. in their hands <laughs> Kodak failed you know and I was thinking of with reading when I was a kid there were these time life books of plumbing and electrical work and who nobody does would even think about that today you go to YouTube and you watch a video right. on plumbing or right. electrical work what's the educational system going to be can we ask that again uh, yeah I lost it for a minute yeah yeah so what I was saying was you know when I was a kid, Time Life Books had this whole series on like house repair and it was a plumbing book and mm -hmm. a electrical. And I said, nobody, people would think you were nuts today if you went to your Time Life Books to repair your sink. You grab a YouTube video. But what's going to happen to education if we don't adapt? It, it, like it, it's just, it's, we're setting kids up to For, fail. Yep. Yep. If we're not adapting. Well, you're, and we're setting us up to be irrelevant right. in education, which is, you know, you mentioned Kodak. I, I often tell people that, you know, in, in the year 1995, we had this amazing company in the United States that would sell you just about everything and ship it to your house wherever you were. It was called Sears. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, the Sears catalog. Um, yeah. That I was totally the greatest thing. That. Yeah. yeah. That was Christmas Sears. time, right? That was a tradition. Right. <laughs> Sears cut out their catalog a year before Amazon was founded. Somebody missed the point. Yeah. Woolworths right. shut down at the same time that things like Dollar General came along, exploded. Right? You know, it's like people miss... The point is not that we're about teaching people to decode for reading or to teach them this particular book. We're teaching them how to learn and go forward. Right. And, and one of the think. things that makes me most nervous is that I see like the field my son is, is in, which is, you know, very high level web database architecture or Pam Moran's son is, is uh, you know, with a digital advertising agency, mostly social media, these jobs don't even have places for education on their job application. Right, right. They don't care, which means we've missed the point. Right. We're, we're not, you need creativity, you need problem solving, you need, you know, an ability to think. Schools, collaboration, yeah. yeah. Um, well, I think that's why it's important that we run these uh, passion projects and the spark projects. So, Ira, right. like you said, like, so the kids can learn how to learn. Right. You know, like, Ron, you were saying, you w we wouldn't go to the book. And which, by the way, my dad gave me 
that time the time life yeah, books. <laughs> uh, that, that how, yeah, the, the, the how, how to, to series. Yeah, yeah. How to keep your house up. Um, but like now, I need to take the microwave off the wall. I go to I go to YouTube, right? And I watch a YouTube video. And and I think it's important to show the kids. You know, I don't care. You know, slavery's not your passion. But you know, we have to do this. But now here's the time. Here's what you're passionate about. Go, you know, watch the videos, put some stuff down, and then sharing it with the world. Those are the skills that are going to keep them prepared for right. what we call right that that uncertain future. Right, right. And I, I mean, again, like you were saying, like slavery, slavery is not your passion, but even just teaching them to be empathetic towards, you know, the the history of slavery or something like it, it's not about the slavery. It's not about the dates and the the measure it's about being empathetic to a group of people who were ripped from their culture and brought over here you know that's what we're really that's what we should be teaching or that's where the focus should be well and i i think that you know when when you talk about a subject like slavery here's the opportunities we're missing i would love kids in virginia and kids in new jersey to talk about this right because the views are going to be there's such a different background right. to it you know, it, it's it's different for kids here who can still see the plantations. Right. You know, and see that whole structure and see that the big old movie theater downtown had the, um, you know, the entrance around the corner oh, for wow. blacks. Right, right. Because yeah, I guess and, our, yeah, and, our guys never see that. No. And, and they, are, they are floored when, when we talk about, you know, there were separate counters and separate drinking fountains <laughs> and, right. you know separate bathrooms yep. and you couldn't sit in the front of the bus. I mean, they're, they're floored. So to be able to hook them up right. with people that would see that every day. Right. And, and, you know, one of the more entertaining things I once saw was a group of, I don't know, sort of high school age kids in one of our high schools with talk, Skyping with a classroom in, in Ireland. And they were trying to explain voting to each other. Okay, and it was incredible because neither could understand the others at all. Because of course, voting is entirely different in the two countries. And what I loved most is when they got onto the question of what democracy was, because the American kids said democracy rules, and the Irish kids said no, democracy means a majority can't rule. Um, <laughs> different societies designed for different things, but. In trying to explain this to each other, you saw, you know, this incredible change happen on both sides of things. We also had a group of um, kindergartners talking to equivalent age kids in Ireland. And oh, it wow. was the week before Halloween. And it was fascinating. The American kids were stunned by seeing the crucifix on the classroom wall. Oh, right. That, right. The Irish kids were stunned that American kids didn't get the week off for Halloween. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is like the major holiday. But the, the, the more we use the technologies we have at the moment where communication has become almost free. Right. Um, to link kids across the, um, you know, across these otherwise big Barriers. I, I was saying to a group of fifth graders here a few years ago who were working on projects about Patrick Henry, and I said, I will connect you to a fifth grade classroom in Michigan, and you can tell them about ha Patrick Henry. And the teacher said, oh, they'll know that. And I said, no, 
they won't. And to test it out, I called my son up who was educated in Michigan and said, who is Patrick Henry? And he said, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) It's just not, uh, that's Virginia history. Um, but these things you'll, these are another way is when you build these connections that you'll see different kids rise to the top. Exactly. Because it's kids who think, that little bit differently, who make the connections first and then bring it home. Right. But that's why I think you have to give those kids a chance to shine. Because if you don't do that extra stuff, if you don't do the outside of the three R's, you know, you're never going to reach that kid. And, and and I think that kid's never going to have a want to be heard. Right? If, right. if you're just, oh, what's your reading level? Where? How are you doing on your right. math facts? Oh, right. that, that's not too good. What'd you score on the rubric on your last writing assignment? You know, as you start to get beat down more and more, eventually you're like, Psh, yeah, you give up and <laughs> stop cares? trying. Right. If I'm if I'm always going to be a two when I'm when I should be at threes and fours, why keep doing it? I'm not going to do it. Just score me as a two and I'm done. Right. Score me as a two. I'm done. And I'm going to disrupt your entire class the whole rest of the time. That's what it's going to be. <laughs> well, and I always talk about, you know, I love teachers who made it very clear that these were the rules and if you violated them this would happen because to me it was a menu because <laughs> the thing i most wanted to do was get out of the classroom right what's going to get I, me to the to the in-school <laughs> suspension room quickest right if, but if you can get me out of school suspension just tell me what you want <laughs> right to right do, and i can do and that i'll be right there with you you know it's it if you let kids come in continuous failure mode i i talk about you know i'm older than you guys i um well i talk about reading through what was you know the sra boxes of reading things oh my gosh i remember those with, <laughs> stuck with mud brown and you know battleship gray as the colors right. of things i was reading while everyone else was in gold and silver right. and, you know, <laughs> what so, message are you sending uh, right <laughs> Well, that's, I remember when I was in first grade, it, it sticks out in my mind so badly that the reading groups, there were the Tigers, the Eagles, the Turtles. And like, <laughs> come on, I, I might be in first grade, but I know the difference between a tiger and a turtle. And I know why this group's the Turtles and why this group's the Tigers. Like it just, it, Yo, it stuck with me even then. In middle, in fifth grade, I was sent out of the classroom. Me and four other kids had to walk to a trailer across the parking lot. We right. were we were in the we were you know we couldn't even be in the class. Right. Um, and that's you know we would go over and and the we took the California Achievement Test, yep. the CAT yeah. test. And I can remember being done in probably ten minutes. First one done, I handed in. The teacher goes, "You got to go back and look this over." I said, "No, I checked everything." She goes, "Well, I'm gonna tell you what. Every answer is not D. None of the above." <laughs> <laughs> you made mistakes. Go back there and do this again. I'm like, all right, no problem. <laughs> you know. Well, but- you know, people, when you create those sort of rankings, I always talk about bullying doesn't start with kids. Bullying always starts with adults. You know, how are certain kids perceived by the adults in a building? No, no kid decides at age five that, football players and cheerleaders are above soccer players, you know, volleyball players, but adults do that. And I still can 
see it in my mind absolutely. My second grade teacher had a bulletin board that looked like an aquarium and every kid had a fish with their name on it. And you went up in the tank as you read more books. Well, <laughs> I had a catfish, apparently. You know, it You're wasn't, a bottom feeder. <laughs> it wasn't getting off the bottom. And that kind of public shaming of right. kids. Yeah. Yeah. I was in a school one time and the principal, and I think, you know, people are doing this with the best of intentions, but they had like these honor roll stickers on all these lockers in a middle school. And I said to her, why don't you put um, the sticker on the rest of the lockers that said not an honor roll kid? <laughs> that's what you're right. doing. That's what you're doing, right? basically, right? Like, <laughs> um, and, and so it's that thing of letting kids see each other as as individually valuable and i think that if the work we did pam and i did in virginia with a whole lot of other people was best is that we let this much larger range of children shine and feel at home and feel valued in in the schools and we have lots of stories about that and it's often the thing of looking around and trying to get a kid into a comfortable place where they could find something to be passionate about um you know as a as a route into the learning we wanted them to do yep yep um whether that stuff's important or not is besides the thing you know if you if you're trying to teach velocity to a sixth grader it's far better to look at you know, an NFL quarterback throwing a pass right. to have time and an exact distance to figure it out than it is doing a thing with X in it. Yeah. Right, yeah. right, exactly. You know? Yeah, and, so. and that's, I mean, I, I do a, I have a, a fifth grade class and we 3D print capsules and they get one Pringle potato chip and they have to put it in and we launch it out of an air cannon and it has to survive the launch. Every time I do that, coming back in from that, the the thing that I love the most is that was the best thing I've ever done in school. And it's even just just even hearing the air cannon and understanding air pressure and it's being built up and you're turning this valve to let the air pressure out. And, you know, yeah, we're not sitting down and we're not doing formulas with it, but we're they're understanding it. And why is why is there a puff of smoke coming with it when there's no smoke in there and it was just air? And well, it's because it's now compressed and it's cold and. You know, it's just amazing that learning without knowing that you're learning, but what then sticks with you because you were interested. You know, it's well. It's, you know, we tell the story a lot of the of the middle schoolers building, you know, rolling tree houses and oh, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, the the wonder of that was we did that in the two weeks before the state test in a school that simply had never been able to get over the 70% threshold in mathematics um, and and needed this to get accredited. They were, you know, sort of in real trouble. And uh, I had to have this conversation with Pam even about why we're doing this. But the math teachers pointed out that those kids learned the entire year's worth of math <laughs> curriculum in two weeks. Right. Right, because um, you're doing it rather than just right. 
<laughs> thinking, or, you know, reading about it or thinking about it. Well, yeah. it's like going to a tech school, right? Like all those kids that couldn't do the regular schooling, they right. went to tech schools, and and now you see these guys, you know, welders and carpenters that can mm. that can read and work with numbers better than people with college diplomas, right? Because they went out there and and they didn't learn things in the classroom they learn things on the job right right so so it was it was real life skills that they needed to be successful in life yeah well my son was it was a math major which is beyond my understanding but math and music which often goes together right uh when he when he was an undergrad at michigan state he did a bunch of tutoring for athletes and he said he started doing pretty much nothing but coding with them and he said because here's the thing if you encoding something either runs or it doesn't. Right, right. In traditional math, it's either right or wrong. If it's wrong in math, you're wrong and you don't care about it. If it doesn't run in coding, you want it to run. Right, you want to go back and figure that you want to debug, exactly. right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> At, it's, it's all those, um, you know, it's like when we first started giving out one-to-one computers and teachers would say, well, what's the punishment for um, kids forgetting to bring their computer to class? And I'd say, they have to go walk back to their locker and get it. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know? And they'd say, well, what if that's better for them than being in class? And I said, well, that would indicate a different problem. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, my son, loves uh, a show the office and and he can sit there and and tell us lines and who said it and seasons and i respond with you know what why are you getting an 83 in math when you can sit here and tell me and and ron's response was well maybe if the math teacher was as interesting as the office he you know he might he might pick more up and i said no ron that's not the right answer but <laughs> you know what as you start to think about it yeah ma- you know if math i'm not a math person so math is it's always been a struggle for me. Um, that's why I think I'm teaching math at, at third grade. I think I'm, that's my best subject to teach because I've always had such a problem with it. So right. like, I, I feel as if I can, I can, I can under, I can empathize with these kids. Right. Um, and that's been, well, my, that was my son. He was in middle school. Used to, I remember him saying to me one day, he was in minor league baseball, you know, before little league. And he, he said, I don't understand. He said, I've seen you try to subtract the two-digit number from a two-digit number and end up with a three-digit number. (laughs) He said, but on the other hand, you seem to know everyone's batting average on the team Uh updated as of their last at-bat. And I said, because I care about one. Right. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Well, and that's, I think, like, I wasn't a math person either, but when I became a teacher and I started to teach myself the math that I needed to, to teach, I started to get more into it and more excited about it because I was like, oh, wow, this really does make sense. And there's an actual purpose for it other than, you know, a timed multiplication test. Like there's a reason to do multiplication, you know, like you, you can figure out an area of a room and, you know, all these things. And, and when you show that, then there, there's more of an interest in it, you know, a more of a reason for it. Yeah. I, I gotta say, I mean, uh, this has been awesome. I, I feel like we're just kind of sitting at a bar having a conversation. Yeah. <laughs> that should be the next one, Ira. That yeah, should yeah. be the next show. That's right. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's like 
of all the versions of uh, the book Ulysses I've ever listened to, there's one on um, called LibriVox that's sort of the, the audio version of Project Gutenberg. And the whole book is read in bars, every chapter oh. in a different <laughs> Oh, wow. You have all those noises <laughs> around you and stuff, and you really start to appreciate it. I, I think, you know, that's another thing we don't let kids do enough, which is talk to each other. Right. And, you know, communicate and sit around. And not everything has to go in a linear order and... Faster is not always better. I, yep. I try to convince teachers to never say, if you finish this early, you can do whatever you want, because then you're penalizing kids who can't. Right. Much better to say, keep going. Right. Well, I give keep- I give add-ons. Here's add-ons right. you can try if you finish, you know, yeah. like, yeah. And it's funny, I just, I we sent out a tweet as the the teacher nerds today, just about, I said, if, if a teacher didn't get a prep in their day, they would be freaking out. That moment to decompress. But we require the kids to have bell ringers from the time they go in till the time they, you know, for me, what I do is when you come in, let me take attendance two, three minutes, relax, take a breath, talk to your friend, sit back, just breathe a little bit, you know, close your eyes, daydream a second. It doesn't have to be work from the second you come in till the second you, you leave. You know, like one self-care. of my favorite middle school teachers, uh, language arts, seventh grade, built in the first 15 minutes of her you know, 80 minute block is just maker playtime with Legos yeah. and this and that and all this stuff. And, and she said, you know, kids, and especially in middle school, they come in from a hall. You have no idea what's just happened in the hall and the class right. before with this or that. You got to let kids just chill. Yeah. Kids need that time. And they, one of my early things in special ed stuff was trying to get schools to give ADHD and kids and kids on the spectrum the first period off. Because I said the process of getting up and getting to school is incredibly painful for these kids. Right. Mm. You need to let them chill out. And if they need to leave your room, at some point, that's a good decision on their part. Right. Better have them go take a walk and come back than, yes, destroy the classroom. Well, and you figure letting them go and coming back might be three to five minutes where, mm-hmm. you know, so they might miss three to five minutes worth of content where if they're staying there and they're frustrated, that could be 20 or 30 <laughs> minutes or half the more, you yes. know, like right. how much uh, are they going to miss? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. or, or 20 to 30 minutes that now the entire class isn't getting to do what they need right? because you're dealing with one kid and they're disrupting the entire class. Yeah. yeah. Um, we, we, we also talk a lot about how kids need at least the parent privacy. And, and there's this interesting thing because, no, we can't let kids sort of run free range because we do have certain things in this country that uh, make that difficult. But... It's very hard to go through an entire day in public, which is what our students do. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, um, meaning like they're always on, right? They're like on public. So there's always they always have to be performing or they always have that mask on. Yeah. Yeah. Which can be very difficult for some kids It is actually difficult for a lot of kids. But 
you know, we'd say if kids can sit in a place where you, where it's not obvious you can see them, they're fine. They right. don't need to actually be in a separate room. They just need to be in a place that's a, a little separated. And the Brits have done a great job of this in, in what they call adolescent playgrounds, where uh, it'll have sort of like a grid that's for climbing, but it also sort of shields kids who are on one side of it a little bit from the surface. So, you know, it's trying to, the whole idea is that we don't, we don't teach our, treat our teachers very well. Um, that's bad enough, but we treat our kids worse. And you know what I'd always say when we tried to, when we would do, uh, um, multi-age classrooms with more than one teacher, the first thing I'd say to teachers is, you get to go to the bathroom anytime you want. Well, <laughs> yeah, nobody understands that, that thing. unless right. you're a yep. teacher, you know what I mean? Like, they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, yeah, I had first period prep and I did lunch duty. So it wasn't until 3.15 that I got to go to the bathroom. That's what I'm talking about. Or, or someone that comes into work and spends the first hour drinking coffee and right. looking through emails. Yeah. If I want to drink coffee for an hour and delete emails, I got to come in an hour before the kids. Right. Like there's right. no starting my day at 8.30 and right. saying, all right, guys, yeah. give me about a half an hour. I'll be right with right. you. Right. Mr. DePaul is going to chill for an hour. You you just do what you talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> Amuse yourselves. Well, it's all about being more humane, right? You know, in in everything we do in the buildings, and you know, I when I'd work with principals, when I still work with principals, I I start at a very beginning. When a kid gets off the bus or gets dropped off in their car, what are the things they see? I beg schools not to have a hundred no signs at the entrances. <laughs> yeah. It's, that's a really negative way to start. Right. But I even ask, I mean, think about this. If a kid gets off the bus every day and walks the same route to their classroom at the same time, what are they learning during that period? They're learning nothing. Right. This is turned into an automaton kind of thing. It's important for us to think about that everything kids see, hear, taste, smell in school um, impacts them in, in some significant way. And we need to look um, a lot more carefully at our environment and think about what it is we're, we're saying to kids. I, I remember saying to a principal in Alamo County who had a big enter to learn sign in the lobby. I'd say, um, do you have a sign that says stop learning when they leave? <laughs> uh, you know, what's, the, what's the message here? Right. You know, uh, this should be part of their life. It shouldn't be separated from it. Right. Right. Every, learning is just throughout the day, right? Like every experience. Stop. It shouldn't right. start when you walk into school and it shouldn't right. stop when you walk out. It right. should be a continuous process right. throughout it, the day. You, it should be you learn when you wake up. You, you're learning when you go to bed yeah. you stop for those eight hours or whatever it is that's 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 what we should be kind of facilitating yeah um, yeah and and so i've often talked that i thought i think the most valuable homework would be to explain something they learned to someone in their family or community yeah. um spread the education don't you know don't rehash it but spread it. Right, right. <laughs> right. In your own words, 
Tell what somebody happened. what happened. What happened yeah. today in reading. Yep. What happened today right. in writing. Yeah. All right. Well, um, so, all right. We, we've taken up about an hour of your time. Um, <laughs> I felt like it went by like 20 minutes. Like I, it, was, it was like sitting at a bar, just <laughs> yep. hanging out Sorry. and talking about education. Um, we were, uh, like I, you know, Joe said earlier, I mean, we, we really appreciate you taking the time out to, to talk to us. Um, and all, and your message, right? right? I mean, you've, you've changed the way we teach we, we've teach and even look at education. Right. Um, and you've influenced teachers around us, you know, through us that, that influence is filtering around our school as well. Well, this is, you know, <laughs> This is a, a group effort to change something that's been locked in place for way too long. Right. Um, you know, and, and I, I use the quote a lot. I think it's in the book. Um, hard to remember anymore. But um, from William Alcott, who, was, who wrote in 1832, that we too often, you know, prioritize our own comfort and wants over that of our children. Yeah. Um, and if that was true in 1832, it's way true now. Yep. Right. Yep. And, um, it, it, it's going to take a whole mass movement to turn this education system around. But um, it, it's absolutely worth it. I, I think education is the most important thing we have because it determines our future. Right. Right. But it's also the most political thing we have because it determines our future. Right. Okay. Uh, at, um, it's, but I'll also say to everybody here, because I think this is important, teachers save more lives every day in this country than doctors do. There, there goes on in every school, at every level, every place, some moment where a teacher turns a kid's life around. Right. I can describe the moment when a teacher did that for me in ninth grade. Um, and, and he simply told me that my voice might matter to people. Right. Right. Especially, and, like you said, you, you had been kind of, you know, weren't the best student and, you know, all that up until that point. Yeah. Right. So I, I, I think people need to appreciate where we are but i think the responsibility that falls on us in education it is massive um but what i found is you know once people start thinking about what they're doing um things do change things and things are changing right this yeah. is not static yeah there, so. i mean there's definitely there's definitely change there, there's a, a group effort going on mm -hmm. and, and it is spreading, you know, little by little, you and, know, classroom by classroom. Right. But. And I think as teachers, the only thing we can do is is keep uh, shouting it out like, yo, right. this is what we're doing. And, and not to, you know, because we don't want to upset anyone, but, you know, not to say if you're still doing things the way maybe people ran classrooms in the 80s you know th things are changing and if, right. and if your style of teaching if like don wetrick says if you're teaching the same lessons year after year right. for 20 years in a row right it's you know you're it's a problem you're, it's you're, you're doing a disservice to those kids because right. every year things are changing and, right. and the way things are changing now with technology it's moving a it's it's a million miles a it's a million miles an hour right, right. if your lesson plans are copy and paste from the previous five years there's an issue <laughs> we also know that we as 
humanity know a million times more about the human brain than we knew in the year 2000. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, our knowledge, that change in knowledge, if we're not applying it, it's like if doctors didn't apply improved knowledge of the heart. Right. You know, it's, yeah. it's um, we have to take advantage of, of of what we know now that we didn't know before. And it's, and it's hard work. And I think people or teachers need to know, like going into it, it is it is hard. And, right. and it's not good teaching doesn't just happen between 815 and, and 315 or whenever your bells ring. You know, there's work that goes into right. it. Um, and, I, and I think that's what it's it's important work and it's worthwhile because at the end of the day, like you were saying, you reach that one kid. Right. And, and, you know, like that's that's you reach one kid a year. To me, that's worth it because. You know, maybe that's one kid you wouldn't have reached or, or that right. wouldn't have gotten it. And, you know, I know I love hearing questions from parents. Well, what happens, Mr. DiPaolo, if I don't, if my son or daughter doesn't have a teacher like you next year? And my and I say, well, I don't have any control over that. But what I do have control over right now is you and your son and, and, and building them up to say, you know what, I can do this. Um, and, and then to hopefully build that confidence to say, talk to a teacher you right. know it's it's just another adult and saying hey listen i can't do it this way but could right. i try and do it this way yep. you know and in past classes i've been successful doing it like this can i try and do it like this in your class yep. you're absolutely right if you can teach kids to advocate yeah but i'll tell you the fact that the future might be bad is never a reason to make a kid's present bad right right yeah. right yeah. exactly yeah it's just yeah. not what it's about. I'm going to have to go only because yeah. I need to walk the dog. Yeah, I Thank appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. I really enjoy this. Hey, yeah. uh, you know, Ira, if you're ever in Jersey, yo, Ron and I, will, you get in touch with us. And if it's you, you or you, you and Pam, yo, we'll... You got dinner on yeah. us. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> All right. Where are you in Jersey? We're in, we're right near Tabernacle where uh, Glenn oh, Robbins okay. was. Yeah. Yep. Right. I know you guys are coming in March, right? March 31st? Yeah. 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 We, so, we, we didn't quite get to get to that, but... Yeah, that's okay. Hey guys, thanks very much. Hey, thanks, thanks Ira. Thanks, Ira. Nice right. talking to you. Yep. Bye bye. Right. Take bye. care. All right. So, uh, woo, Ron, man, that Yo, was heavy. that was that was. Awesome. I mean, it really did feel like fifteen twenty minutes. I'll tell you what. The last time I looked up at the clock, it was twenty after four. Right, dude. It's 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 ten oh five. Yeah, um, that was pretty amazing. So, uh, Joe, that was a great episode. And again gotta say thank you to ira yeah, for, for taking great. that time out and pam i mean pam for pam setting it up and pam, facilitating yeah. it pam was it was pam's idea hey why don't you yep. guys reach out to ira yeah um and then i think you know seeing pam at texpo all those years ago yep. pam and and don i don, mean that yep. that started kicking it off for us yeah. and that that's you know, that's what we started are, what, to change three things. or four years later yeah um and think about how how much our teaching has changed right our teaching has changed we we have a podcast we're trying to spread that word now um so Thanks, everybody, for joining us uh, once hope, again. I'm Joe DiPaolo, and I hope you enjoyed this as much as Ron oh. and I did. Teacher nerds, teacher nerds, knocking on your door. Open up, let's take your teaching further than before. Give it a try, don't be shy, there's nothing there to lose. Worst thing that happens, kids get pain on their shoes. We're talking teacher nerds. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Teacher Nerds Podcast. Keep up with every new episode by subscribing on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast, Anchor, or anywhere you listen. When you subscribe, be sure to give us a review and tell a friend. Visit us at teachernerds.com 
follow us on Twitter at Teacher Nerds, on Instagram at Teacher Nerds Podcast, or email us, teachernerds at gmail.com. And remember, we're nerds with a Z. Most importantly, thank you for listening and becoming one of the Teacher Nerds. <laughs>